Second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 14 and work our way into chapter 15. So chapter 14, verse 34, all the way through 15, verse 20. Uh, you can find that on page 1,521 of your pew Bibles. Uh, we will also have the words on the screen for you. Matthew, 5, Matthew 14, verses 34 through 15, verse 20. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me as a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it find themselves to be cleansed by the touch of Jesus. There are two competing narratives that have greatly influenced our society today. There is the Christian teaching of the depravity of man, which declares that all humans are born into sin, that they are rebellious from birth. And then there is the, the philosophy that, that, that humans are, are born good and have to be taught to do evil. For those who believe the latter, they, they say that violence and, and crime stem from the way society is structured. And so they are always looking for, for governmental change, thinking that that will be the way that they can fix all of their problems. 
But for the Christian, the Christian who, who knows that evil comes from deep within, they know that the solution lies not in the government, though the government can be a curb to evil. But, but the true answer lies in the transformation of the heart, the core of who one is. And that such a transformation can only come about by divine intervention. In other words, we, we, we cannot in our own power make ourselves good. Rather, we need God's help in order to change. And no more do we see an example of this than in our story for today. The last time we saw Jesus, he was walking on the water. He had just fed the 5,000, but his, his disciples went ahead of him while he stayed back in order to pray. And because of a strong wind, his, his disciples were struggling to make any headway. But when it was the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the water. And if you recall, when they saw Jesus, they, they thought that he was a ghost and they feared for their very lives. But Jesus had calmed their nerves by saying to them, Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Of course, it was Peter who was bold enough to step out of that boat and walk to his master. But when he took his eyes off of Christ, and the wind and the waves all around him, his fear returned and he began to sink. But as he was going under, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus lifted him up, rescuing him from certain death. And it was on that night that these men worshipped Jesus for the first time. They, they, they recognized him for who he truly is, the Son of God. I can only imagine what it must have been like to have been in that boat, to, to see what they saw, and to come to realize that this man that they had been following for so long was, was more than just a man. The awe that they must have felt, the thrill as, as they saw Jesus in a fuller light. But I also have to imagine that a, that a new fear would have, would have come upon them. Not, not, not the type of fear that they had when they, when they thought that a ghost was approaching them and that their lives were in jeopardy. No, but a, but a holy fear. A fear that is right and natural when one approaches the throne of God. For the heavens had come down to them as they were on that boat. The inadequacies they, they must have felt must have humbled them. For they were unclean men in the presence of the Holy One. How could they do anything but bow down before Jesus? And this leads us to our passage for today where this question of what makes a man unclean comes to bear. Look at the end of chapter 14, verses 34 through 36. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and, and begged him to let, let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. 
What a great short little snippet of our Lord. Again, we see Jesus' fame precede him. For, for when he landed, people recognized him and, and spread the word. And in this short little pericope, we, we, we are again to the healing ministry of Christ. All who came to him were healed. But did you notice the, the, the method by which this healing came? These people begged him to, to let them touch the edge of his cloak. Now we have seen this thing before, have we not? Back in Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, we, we, we read this story. Just then, a, a woman who, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Apparently, this story of this woman had, had reached the ears of the folk in Nazareth. Faith and what they had been told. They believed the message. And that faith displayed it request to touch the edge of Jesus' cloak. Now, as we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew, we have seen Jesus heal people in a variety of ways. With the left Christ touched the man and made him clean. With the paralyzed servant of the, of the Roman centurion, Jesus spoke a command from a great distance, and that man was made well. With the, with the dead little girl, he simply took her by the hand, and she got up. There was no special trick, no magic formula that allowed Jesus to heal. He was able to do so because of who he is. And if he wanted to, he could have spoken a single word. And all the people of Gennesaret would have been made whole. But that's not what he did. Rather, he, he, he chose to use the means that these people were asking for. Just a, a, a slight touch from the edge of his garment. Why? Because that was where these people were at in their faith. They had obviously heard the story of the healing of that woman, and they thought that if it worked for her, well, then it'll work for me as well. You see, Christ, he, he comes to you where you are at. He works with what little faith that you have, and he meets you there. For these people, they believed in the slightest touch of the tassel of his cloak. For us today, we find Jesus in his word. It is there where Christ speaks to us, displaying his majestic glory. But there's more to the story than just the method of Jesus' healing. For just as with the leper and with the woman who had been bleeding, the question of ceremonial cleanliness comes into play. For how many of these people had some type of illness that would have caused them to be unclean? Perhaps an infectious skin disease or, or some type of discharge. 
the common practice for both the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees would be to never rub shoulders in a crowd, lest they happen to unknowingly, unwittingly bump into someone who was ceremonially unclean and thus become unclean themselves. But Jesus doesn't take that approach. He allowed any who were sick to, and perhaps even unclean, to touch his cloak. And the, fact, the effect of that was not the spreading of the defilement, but, but just the opposite. Those who came in contact with Jesus, they were transformed. Their sickness was removed and they became clean. Dear friends, do you understand that Jesus is greater than, than, than any of your impurities? That there is nothing that you have done, no sin that you have committed that he cannot remove. And there is no disease or, or sickness that, that the touch of Jesus cannot cleanse. He is the Son of God, the Holy One, who cannot be, def be defiled. But instead, he removes all defilement. And we'll see this in a clearer light as our story continues. Let's jump into chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now the first thing we must ask is, who were these men? Well, they were Pharisees and teachers of the law from Jerusalem. That's crucial. These men weren't from Galilee. They were from Jerusalem. They were the heavy hitters, so to speak. Imagine if Tom Brady and, and Aaron Rodgers came to Allegan to coach your high school football team. That's what this is like. These were men of renown, held in high esteem by the people. And when it came to the scriptures, these men from Jerusalem were the best. So what does this all mean? Why is it significant that, that Jerusalem came to see Jesus? Simply stated, Jesus was becoming a national threat. His popularity had grown so much that the higher-ups were beginning to take notice. This was no longer just a Galilean problem. No, Jesus was making waves throughout all of Israel. Stories of him were spreading, and people were believing them. But would these heavy hitters fare any better than their Galilean counterparts? Would their attempts to discredit Jesus be any more? Let's, let's examine their approach and find out. Take a look at, at what they just asked Jesus. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Well, it seems that these heavy hitters were not that much different than their Galilean counterparts. For they were taking a familiar approach. For once again, we see an attack via extension. This was an underhanded tactic of 
trying to discredit Jesus without really going thinking is that if you can show misconduct on the part of the disciples, it will reflect upon the master. It is an attack that doesn't seem like an attack. And this is exactly what the Pharisees from Galilee did earlier. When they had complained about the disciples picking heads of grain on the Sabbath. So, so why his disciples Christ? Because, because they knew that Jesus held, held sway with the crowds. And that if they attacked him directly, they would lose favor with the people. And so the disciples were once again the scapegoat. But what was their complaint? That they were breaking the tradition of the elders. What were those? Well, they were the oral teachings that had been passed down from generation to generation that commented on the law of God. They were those detailed regulations of how one could be obedient to the commands of, of the Lord. But what do these traditions have to do with hand washing? When we think of hand washing, we typically think of our mom, right? Go wash your hands. You're about to eat dinner. Scrub up. Clean up. But your mom says that because she wants to kill germs and bacteria, right? That's not what this is. No. Hand washing was, was done at the temple as a cleansing ritual. And the tradition of the elders carried hand over into everyday use. The, the, the thought was, was that throughout the day, a person's hand might unwittingly come into contact with something that was unclean. And if a person's hand was ritually cleansed, then that defilement would, would not get passed on into the food and eventually into the body. And so this practice of theirs, what it was, was an at remaining ceremonially clean. To sum this up, what we see going on here was an attack on Jesus through his disciples using a nitpicking rule of the elders. How would Jesus respond? Look at verse 3. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. People honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Ouch. These are not kind words. But they are true words. Here's the issue. These, these Pharisees were so concerned about being obedient to the law that they missed the heart of the law, which is the law. For God, 
You see, they, they, they thought that they could make themselves clean in their own strength. And so they used the law as a prop to lift themselves up. And by doing so, they, they looked to the tradition of the elders. But these traditions, they were not from God. It originated in the hearts of men. And what they had a tendency of doing was to emphasize one command at the cost of another. And this is exactly what we see these men doing. I mean, one of the basic commands, one of the Ten Commandments, is to honor your father and your mother. And to do so meant that you would have to look after them in their old age. But many of these Pharisees would neglect this duty, citing one of the traditions of the elders. The tradition of Korban. Korban is, is a simple Jewish word meaning offering. It describes something that is dedicated for a religious purpose. And by simply making a simple vow, a person could claim that all of their possessions were a gift to be set aside for the temple treasury once they had died. And thus they could avoid the responsibility of supporting their parents by claiming korban. And yet in the same breath, these men had no problem using the same wealth for their own needs and wants. Instead of the law directing them towards love of others, their tradition emphasized the love of self. This is why Jesus said to them, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then to make sure that they understood his point, he then quoted a passage from Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 29, verse 13. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. You see, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law were, were cut from the same cloth as the religious leaders of Isaiah's day. They valued their man-made rules over and above the Word of God. For they thought that those things, those things would make them clean. But Jesus revealed the truth of the matter. Look at verses 10 and 11. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. In other words, these, these hand-washing rituals did nothing. They had no power to turn a sinful man into a clean vessel. For there is something deeper within that muddies the soul. But before we discuss what that is, Jesus' disciples have some questions. Look at verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Now these disciples had heard Jesus speak some strong words both to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law before. This was nothing new. 
He had called them a brood of vipers. He had called them a wicked and adulterous generation. But remember, these men were from Jerusalem and were highly esteemed. The fact that Jesus' comments would, would worry his disciples demonstrates that they too held these men in high regard. Look, Jesus, I, I, I know you're right. You have found a nicer way of saying this. Christ had another lesson for his disciples. He must disillusion them from their worship of men. This is why he called the, the, the teachers from Jerusalem uprooted plants and blind guides. The, the meaning is plain enough. They were not of God. Though they may have been Jews by birth, they were not Israel. And though they may have held the title of Pharisee and, and teacher of the law, they, they were worshiping a false god and indoctrinating people into a false religion. They were the blind leading the blind. This had to be shocking for these disciples to hear. I mean, how could these elite men, the, the, the best of the best, be blind guides? The answer? Because they had been deceived by the traditions of men and this false notion that deep down they had good hearts. They thought they had figured it out. That by building a fence around the law, the law that, that they could will themselves to become clean. But in so doing, they ignored the heart of the law, which is love. And they also failed to recognize what the law was pointing them to, their need for forgiveness. And what is ironic about all of this is that, that the only one who could truly save them was right there in front of them. But instead of embracing him, they tried to tear him down. These men were either ignorant to the truth or willfully blind. You see, anyone who, who truly understands the scriptures, which these men claim to do, they will come to the conclusion that they cannot pull it off themselves. That they are defiled from within and in desperate need of salvation. And the only one who can bring such salvation is Jesus Christ. And this is the point that will be emphasized in our last set of verses. Look at, look at verse 15. Peter said, explain to us the parable. Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. The eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. It's not about what goes in, but about what comes out. For what makes a man unclean emanates from within. Which brings us back to man's depravity. This notion that we are born into sin. Psalm 51 verse 5 states this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
ever since the fall, ever since Adam, a bite of that fruit. This is who we are. We are sinners from the start. This, this is the condition into which we have been born. To quote R.C. Sproul, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. In fact, time and again, the Bible teaches us that every man is wicked. There are none who do good. Psalm 14, verse 2 says this, The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The sin of Adam has infected all men. It is ingrained deep within us. We are evil because we have corrupt hearts. Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How many hold to follow your heart? Anyone? Yeah, sayings like this come from that philosophical notion that we are born good. That, that if our heart is telling us to do something, then, then it cannot be bad. God tells us otherwise. Listen, at, at your very core, we are wicked people. These desires that, that we have within our hearts, they are selfish in nature. But, but if we have this picture in our head that we are born good, then we will believe the lie. For your heart will, will, will tell you that what you want can't really be all that bad. This is the deception that our society feeds on today. It is why the adulteress consoles herself. Because her heart tells her that, that, that she loves this other man and that love is a good thing. It is why the thief can justify himself for, for his heart tells him that, that, that life has not given him a fair shake. And so it's okay to take from the rich. Everyone thinks that they are good because their heart is telling them that they are. But it is a big, fat lie. And this is how these Pharisees thought. They, they justified their, their neglect of their parents because their heart they were following the tradition of the elders. This must be God's will. How about you? What is your heart telling you today? Brothers, sisters, do you, do you see the problem? You need a new heart. You need to be transformed from within. The, the, the Pharisees thought that they, they could fix themselves through, through their outward obedience. But what they really needed was a heart transplant. And so do you. You need someone who can turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. You need Christ. You need him to come to you and to touch you and to make you clean. And this is exactly what he does for those who have faith in him. 
just like the people of, of Gennesaret who were looking to be healed by the touch of Jesus' cloak, you too can be cleansed if you will turn away from the desired heart and trust in Jesus. He died for your sins so that you might be washed clean and given a new heart. And his promise to you is his Holy Spirit who will transform you from the inside, changing you into a new creation. You see, this, this is what true religion does. It deals with the nature of man at its core and not with the externals. It is a transformation. And it, it frees a person from their slavery to sin and sets them on a path of righteousness. But such freedom can only be found in Jesus. Turn from your sins, from the deceptions of your heart, and trust in Christ. For in Him, you too can be made clean. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now and confess to you that too often we are like these Pharisees. We put on these masks of godliness, but deep down we, we know that we are unclean, that we need your help. We need your Son, the one who died for our sins in order that we may receive forgiveness. And we need your Holy Spirit to impart to us new hearts, hearts that will know how to, how to truly love. We cannot do this on our own. We need you. Lord, make us clean, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.